Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. There's one word in the church, one word that, that gets thrown around day in and day out, that, that lacks a definition and is used in the discourse of the church in various ways. It's the word, the gospel. I mean, Christians of all stripes and, and all denominational affiliations pepper their sermons and, and teach their Sunday school lessons and adult forums and, and even raise money for capital campaigns by using that one word. But the problem is, and hopefully, hopefully I'm not alone in this, it is used in so many different ways. I, I usually don't have any idea how and why they're using that word. When I hear it used in a sentence, and, and maybe it's the same for you. So in both liberal and conservative circles, I've heard the word used uh, as either a direct equivalent for social justice or as a descriptor of social justice. And that sounds something like this. Feeding the hungry or housing the homeless is in fact the gospel message. And even in our, even in our own denomination, gun control has been described as a gospel matter or stuff relating to traditional family values. That's the gospel. Or things relating to the church's position on migrants, or the church's position on fighting for the equality of women, or how the church responds to racial unrest, and even environmental issues. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Now don't get me wrong, every one of these things I just mentioned, every single one of them, to quote the, uh, the Eucharistic prayer, are right and good and joyful things. Things that all image bearers, all people made in the image of God should be striving for. But let me drop the bomb right now and set the record straight. None of them, not one of them, are the gospel. Not one of them are the good news. And they should never be confused with the good news. Now I know what some of you are saying, and you'd be correct in thinking, yes, they're right. It's, it's right to stand for these things. And, and the church should be engaged in these things. And yes, they're good things. It's good to fight alongside the oppressed. And yes, working against the powers and principalities, especially of those who are oppressed, should and would and can bring joy. But unfortunately... None of them are the gospel. And this brings me to my first point. 
You see, all the things that some people equate with the gospel are simply outworkings of the gospel, the products of the gospel, the results of a heart, a heart that's supernaturally changed by the gospel. So to fight for racial equality really only makes sense when we realize that we are all one through baptism in Christ Jesus and that Christ died for all sinners. And to have deep concerns about family values only makes sense when we realize, as St. Paul makes clear, that we are all part of one family of God first. And to rally around environmental issues only makes sense when we realize that we have been placed on God's earth by God as his vice regents to care for the earth in his stead. But none of these alone is in fact the good news. None of these alone is the gospel. Now, that's not to say that the gospel is defined in an easy way. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed this morning to flip into your Bibles and find a one-to-one kind of definition of the gospel in the scriptures. Yet surprisingly, here's the closest the scriptures come, which comes from St. Paul as he defines it in Galatians 3. St. Paul says, And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declaring the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. So for St. Paul, the, the ingrafting of the Gentiles into the people of God is, in fact, the good news. Yet, Right before this passage, Paul reminds us how and why the Gentiles would one day be included in the people of God. He sets it up, he sets this passage up by saying, Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see, those who believe are descendants of Abraham. So, it's in the act of believing. It's in, it's in the act of having faith that the gospel is made effectual. But the question is, believing what? Well, believing in what God could and would one day do. You see, while the term the gospel is not and never was a uniquely Christian word. Actually, it was a very common and simple Greek word that Jesus and Paul and the other writers 
of the New Testament co-opt for their own use, it always referred to a very important announcement, usually referring to the king or the emperor. In other words, the term the gospel is always, always connected to a royal announcement. So a few decades before the birth of Christ, we read this. The birthday of God, Augustus, was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came because of him. The birthday of the God, Augustus, Caesar, was the beginning of the gospel for the world, for the world that came because of him. Now, what's interesting about this quote is that it echoes word for word at one point the opening line of St. Mark's gospel, which reads, in the beginning of the gospel, but not of Augustus Caesar, but of Jesus Christ. Now, in light of all of this, when, when we turn to our gospel passage this morning, what's the good news that's located in it for us today. Well, let's pinpoint the royal language. You see, the term son of man was code language for the king in the Old Testament. So we read in Psalm 8, a royal psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And this brings me to my second point. You see, the good news today, and the good news every day, the gospel that we are being asked to believe in this morning is this. That the son of man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. And that, my friends, is the good news. That is the gospel in a nutshell, in a sentence and nothing else. You see, when we believe this, when, when we understand what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, then and only then can we go out into the world to serve it and stand for what I mentioned earlier, stand for, you know, the right and good and the things that bring joy to other people. Because believing in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done will produce in us the necessary quality to go out into the world, which is the one quality that the disciples in our text lack. In a book about life, love, and leadership by John Dixon, a book I strongly recommend to all of you this morning, well, he defines that single quality the quality that was lacking in the disciples. 
He writes this. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. Humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. You see, when the disciples begin arguing about which one of them is the greatest, and it must have been a comical scene, they show us what they're obviously lacking. Humility in a word. Because humility doesn't seek its own good. Humility is, is more interested in the other. And humility never compares your personal standing. That's what James, in our second reading, is trying to get at. You see, humility, as Dixon states, is the choice to forego your status. And that's all the disciples at this point can think about. Status. Now, as I made clear earlier, and as some of you have been aware, I was ordained a priest last Saturday at the cathedral. And when I met with my spiritual director on Monday, just following, he reminded me of one very important fact that he wanted me to take away. He said this to me. While the ordination service, as grand as it is, as grand as it was, will confuse people into believing that you just got a promotion, always remember that becoming a priest is actually being demoted into the service of the laity. And this is what the disciples in our gospel reading miss. But why do they miss that? Well, the text makes it clear. Simply put, they don't understand the gospel. Believe that. Can you believe it? The disciples who are walking next to Jesus don't understand the gospel. At least not at this point of the biblical story. Because right after Jesus mentions the gospel, makes his gospel statement, right after Jesus lets the cat out of the bag, that the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. Right after that, the next thing the text tells us is this, that the disciples didn't understand that they misunderstood Jesus' gospel announcement. Yet, yet, let me remind us that their blunder helps us, helps us to know how to respond this morning. And this brings me to my final point. You see, it's only when we understand the one who truly humbled himself, who, who gave up heaven for earth, who, who gave up an eternal relationship with the Father, who, who gave up life for death and did so for me and you. It, it's only when we see him 
reversing the roles, the divine becoming human, everything becoming nothing, or as our text says, the first becoming last to serve every one of us to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Paul tells us. It's only at that point that we can truly be humble to first understand what the gospel is and secondly, rightly respond to the issues of the world as he did with selfless love. Before I close, uh, there's a great, a great illustration of this. A great illustration of gospel humility. It actually sits high atop of the world, at the apex of Mount, uh, Mount Everest. When Sir Edmund Hillary summited that great mountain, Unlike the first human who stepped foot on the moon and marked that great achievement with the American flag, Sir Edmund retrieved a small crucifix from his pocket and set it on top of the peak. Now, what's interesting about this story is that while Sir, uh, Sir Edmund was not known to be a very religious man, Something moved him to mark his great achievement with the greatest achievement the world would ever know. And that, my friends, is cruciform humility. Humility shaped by the person and work and cross of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.